Good morning, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffBeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Thursday, so this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy our show. This story was first published on February 20th of 2011 under the headline, When Dynamite Truck Blew Up in Roseburg, It Looked Like Nuclear War. Here we go. It's hard to imagine what it must have been like in the cockpit of the Frontier Airlines passenger liner, flying along at 17,000 feet in the middle of the night, when the pilot saw the mushroom cloud rising over an Oregon city. The year was 1959. All over the country, children were ducking and covering to prepare for the nuclear war that everyone knew was a real possibility. Only two years earlier, the Soviet Union had sent Sputnik 1 into orbit, demonstrating that they could drop a nuclear warhead or anything else they wanted to pretty much anywhere they liked, the same as we could. Quite why the Kremlin would have picked Roseburg, Oregon as a target would have been unclear. But with a glowing, fiery ball of evidence rising slowly into the air above that little Douglas County city, the pilots can be excused for not asking the question before radioing the Medford Airport control tower that global thermonuclear war was breaking out, with Roseburg at ground zero, an hour and 14 minutes after midnight on August 7th. Luckily for most of us, they were wrong. What they were witnessing was not nuclear war, but the biggest human-caused disaster in Oregon history, something still referred to in Douglas County knowingly and with a slight touch of reverence as the blast. The blast involved six and a half tons of explosives, 13 times the amount used in the state highway department's ill-starred attempt to blow a dead whale off the beach in Florence 11 years later. It left a crater 60 feet wide and 20 feet deep. It leveled all the buildings for blocks around and took the glass out of windows nine miles away, and it killed 13 people, a number that seems miraculously small considering the scale of the destruction. Here's how it happened. George Rutherford, a truck driver for a Washington company called Pacific Powder Company, was making a delivery to the Gerritsen Building Supply in downtown Roseburg. But he got there after the business had closed for the day, so he parked his truck next to Gerritsen's and walked three blocks to the Umpqua Hotel where he checked in for the night. Inside the truck were two tons of dynamite and four and a half tons of blasting powder. A few feet away from it was a building that a few hours later would be completely engulfed in fire. No one knows how the Garretts and fire got started. All the evidence is, shall we say, gone. It might have been a pile of oily rags bursting spontaneously into flame. It might have been a hobo's jungle fire by the railroad tracks. It might even have been an employee's cigarette left in the wrong place hours before. What everyone does know is what happened when the flames got into the barrels of paint thinner and kerosene and other flammable spirits kept in Garrison's warehouse. That fire got very big and very smoky very fast. The alarm was sounded around 1 a.m. when a young mill worker named Dennis Tandy driving home with his pregnant wife in their tiny air-cooled Fiat noticed the fire. After calling the fire department, Dennis stayed to help. Marilyn, his wife, stayed in the car about a block away. A 
quarter hour later, she would suddenly become a widow, and the tiny, flimsy-looking Fiat 600 would save her life. Firefighters were on the scene within two minutes, and with Tandy's help started battling to suppress the fire in Garretson's. Fueled by paint product, the smoke was thick and poisonous and pouring past Rutherford's truck, obscuring the placards on its flanks that read, Explosives. Minutes ticked by. The sides of the truck started to buckle and warp. Then the truck was on fire. Then... When the blast hit George Rutherford, he was racing from his hotel to his truck. Awakened by the sirens, he'd been desperately trying to get to his rig before it was too late, and then, all at once, it was too late. The explosion blew him back toward the hotel and took off a piece of his nose. Bystanders had to physically restrain him to keep him from running back into the inferno. Let me go, he kept saying. I've got to go see how many people I've killed. Several firefighters on the scene were literally blown apart. The mayor of Roseburg, a little later, picked up a firefighter's glove and found a hand in it. Several people nearby were killed by broken glass, a woman and her daughter slain by the picture window through which they'd been watching the fire, and another woman picked up by the blast and thrown into the window of a car dealership. One unlucky young man had a bolt from Rutherford's truck bury itself in the back of his head. He died a month later. Others survived with various injuries. A total of 125 were hurt. In the wake of the blast, Roseburg neighbors came together to help one another get through. Lumber company trucks came downtown and handed out sheets of plywood so that people could board up their blown-out windows. Shopkeepers labored for days picking up debris and sweeping up glass. Rutherford's company tried, in a very clumsy sort of way, to throw him under the bus, but these efforts only drew attention to the fact that they had ordered Rutherford to leave the truck in town for the night. There was a perfectly serviceable explosives depot outside town, but apparently company officials were worried that someone would steal the dynamite if it were left parked there, so they had actually told him not to use it. Perhaps in response to Pacific Powder Company's thumb-fingered effort at blame-shifting, the Douglas County District Attorney filed an indictment for manslaughter against the company, but did not file any charges against Rutherford himself. Eventually, the Oregon Supreme Court ruled that a company couldn't be prosecuted for manslaughter, and nothing came of this. But Pacific Powder could and did get sued by a great many people, as did Rutherford. The company in the end paid out a little over a million dollars in damages. The incident, as can well be imagined, cast a shadow over Rutherford that stayed with him the rest of his life. He died in 1996. Within a few years, insurance payments and other assistance had financed a rebuilding of downtown Roseburg. Other than a few plaques around town, a visitor today would never know anything like this had happened. Still, the blast cast a long shadow. Quote, Years later, when I was in the service, guys would ask me where I was from. Historian and Douglas County native Dale Greenlee recalls, When I'd say Roseburg, Oregon, 90% of the guys would look at me and say, The Blast. Key sources in this story included works by Barry Serafin, Brent Waltz, and Dale Greenlee. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 550 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulplet Productions, pulp-lit.com, a boutique publishing house owned and operated by yours truly, specializing in audiobook and multimedia editions of the work of the classic pre-war pulp writers. 
This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license type CC by SA 4.0, which basically means you can do anything with the content you like, so long as you A, give me credit for it, and B, whatever you make is also released under a Creative Commons license. But if you need a waiver to either A or B, hit me up, fj at offbeatorgan.com. I've never said no yet to a request for a waiver of one of those conditions. They're generally there just to prevent me from accidentally authorizing the reuse of something I don't actually control the rights to. A good example might be a photograph used by special permission of the rights holder. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatorgan.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every single weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. (laughs) ¶¶